Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's Message of the Week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. Today, I want to start with you uh, a new series that will take us on a journey uh, with Jesus leading up to Easter Sunday, because everywhere that Jesus went, people wanted to be there. Everywhere that he went, there was a crowd. Uh, and he would pack the place out. People uh, worked incredibly so hard to get into like his presence and to see him and to see what was going on. It was such a big deal. And the Bible says that people were amazed, that they were amazed at him. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his miracles. They were amazed at his compassion. They were amazed in his presence. He was simply amazing. And so in this, today, this a new series that we're starting is called Encounter, and it's about this. It's when life encounters Jesus. And so today, what I want to talk to you about is chasing greatness and this pursuit of chasing. We're going to talk about this very interesting encounter uh, that Jesus had with a guy who was trying to find his way to greatness. Because here's what I know. Greatness, it resonates within each and every one of us. Every single one of us in here, it resonates. Because greatness is like this universal tug upon all of us, that it pulls us towards it, things that we want to be great, things that we want greatness to identify us as a person. But here's, here's the thing, though, honestly, the thing about a greatness is we think greatness is so exclusive, right? Like we, um, we think that greatness is not reserved for people like you and me, right? We think that greatness is for like those people, like there's this select club of people and it's for them, that, that greatness is about what other people can achieve, um, like, like, like we think about things like the Baseball Hall of Fame, right? Like that's, that's an exclusive club. That is an icon of greatness. And so we think of things kind of like that, uh, where there's tens of thousands of Major League Baseball players, but only two or three like annually are inserted into the Hall of Fame. So the Hall of Fame becomes this like great icon of greatness. And so you and I, here's the deal. We think that we can play the game of life. Like we, can, we think that. Um, but, but we can never be great at it. And there's this disconnect that we have for, like, for many of us. Like, we're growing up, and we wanted to be great at things. Like, really, like, what, what was it when you were a kid? Like, when you were a kid, what did you want to be great at? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like when, I was, when I was a kid, uh, I just I wanted to be an athlete. Like, I wanted to be a professional athlete. And so growing up, that's all I did. I played all the time, and and every single sport, I was in everything, and I just wanted to, like, all I could care about was if I could just be a professional athlete as for my life, that would just be amazing, and that's what I would want to do. And, and when I was young, I was actually pretty good at basketball. Watch this. <laughs> Heck yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't that great. But here's the deal, the reality, the reality, uh, the, the desire for greatness uh, has not disappeared. Like I still have that even in me today. Uh, to this day, I still have this. But I think though, check this out, I think though as I mature, and I bet you that this may be the case for you as well, is my desire for greatness uh, to do something great has kind of decreased over the years. And to be someone great has increased. And I've seen that happen. Like, I want to be, be, be a great husband. I want to be a great dad. 
I want to I be a great friend. I want to be a great lover of life. I want to be a great Christian. I want to be a great person of compassion. And what I don't want is I don't want mediocrity to define my being. I don't, I don't want my kids to look back and be like, oh yeah, uh, my dad, he was very average. <laughs> like, like, I don't want that, right? I don't want Kathleen to say, well, as a spouse, he took up a lot of unnecessary space. <laughs> like, I don't, it's not what I'm going for. And the reason that I continue to desire greatness is because God has hardwired us that way. He's hardwired me. He's hardwired you for that, that desire. Jesus, listen to me. Jesus did not live an amazing life here on this earth. and die, He did not die on the cross. He did not prove that he was God by raising again so that you and I could have life and live at mediocrity and mediocrity. That's not his goal. He put this desire in you for greatness. What did he say in John 10? John 10, 10. You know what he said? I want you to have life. I want you to have it to the full. I want you to have abundant life. That's what his call is for you and I. But here's the deal. If I'm honest with you guys, and I really, this is who I am. You're going to get this from me all the time. Um, Being great, being great in the arena of some of these character qualities is very, very difficult. It's incredibly challenging. There are a lot of times I don't, in my life, that I don't meet my own expectations. I just don't. I don't meet other people's expectations. I know that. I feel a little down. I don't have what it takes. And then there, and then there are these times uh, that I'm embarrassed, actually, to admit, uh, in my life when I really don't trust God in all the areas of my life. I've done that. And what I end up wanting is I want a quick fix. I want a quick fix. If I could just read this book, if I could just, if I could just join that team, if I could just get around those guys, or if I could learn this principle to apply or get into that program, maybe it would lead me to greatness, and I want this quick fix. I mean, I don't know. Like, let me ask you guys. Does anyone else in here ever desire a quick fix once in a while? Anyone? A lot of us do. Quick, quick fixes are very popular in our society. But your desire and my desire for greatness, here's what, it, here's what I know about it. It's because we want something more. And that's what God has designed us for. He's designed us for, think about it. You want something deeper in your life. You want something more meaningful. You don't want your friendships to be average. You don't want your marriage to be routine. You don't want your career to be unfulfilling. You don't want your bad habits and addictions to define you. You don't want your kids or your friends to feel blasé about you. You don't want your emotions to be flat all the time. You don't want material possessions to fill the spiritual void that you have in your life. You don't want to be consumed by conflict all the time. You don't want to live a forgettable life. We want more. We want something of more significance than dunking a Nerf ball on a six-foot goal. (laughs) As cool as that is, by the way. So, 
There is something, though, for you and I. Because Jesus gave us the how-to to match the want-to. And he did that for us. And we're going to take a look at this event, um, this encounter between Jesus and this man who was rich. Jesus gives this man this route to greatness, but it's not an easy route. And what I, I kind of like about this and the other events that take place in the Bible is that uh, we get to learn from the harsh realities of other people. We get to see what happens in their lives, and so I can learn from that. And that's a, and that's a cool thing about this event that we're going to be reading today. We're going to take a look at Mark chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, which you should, open them up to Mark chapter 10. We're just going to be hanging out there the rest of the day. Uh, this is also in Matthew and Luke. Um, you can read it in all of those Gospels and study it on your own. But we're going to be reading today out of Mark 10. And uh, before we do that, I want to pray over this reading of the Word. Can I just tell you, that was just my open. That was amazing. That was just my open. So, one, one applause. It was pretty good. That was pretty good. I kid. Let's, let's, let's pray over what we receive today from God's Word. Father, we love you. Uh, right now, Lord, we surrender, we open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, may we open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to you and your word. May your, your word now pierce us, pierce our heart uh, in the area that we need. So we want to be completely dependent upon you and your spirit. So we come in alignment with that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like right away, right off the bat, I love this guy. I love this guy because he just comes running up to Jesus. A lot of times when you're looking through scripture, uh, you see that people don't do that. They kind of wait in the backgrounds or they tr maybe try to kind of slowly wait work their way through the crowd and just like grab a hold of him or something. But this guy's ambitious, man. He just takes off. He just comes running up to Jesus. He's got some attitude. He's got some passion. I'm sure he's already heard that Jesus was coming and his reputation about being packed out. And so he wants to get into Jesus's presence. And so in today's vernacular, this guy's probably like the alpha male guy, right? Like he's aggressive. He's self-assured. He's a go-getter. Like he, like he would be on Survivor, Physical 100, and Man vs. Wild all at the same time. <laughs> like that's what we're talking about. And with, and with his chest like still heaving from being out of breath, he asks Jesus literally the most important question that you and I can ask. It's about eternal life. But you know what I think? You know what I think I know about this guy? My guess is he wants a quick fix. That's my guess. He wants an 11 commandment. He, he wants an easy spiritual plan. And so here's what Jesus says. We keep reading in verse 18. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Uh, no one is good except God alone. And in verse 19, you know the commandments, right? He's talking to the rich guy. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. And do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Uh, honor your father and your mother. And right here, what Jesus is doing is what any good rabbi or uh, religious Jewish teacher uh, would do. That's just point people back to the Old Testament. And that's exactly what he's doing here. Uh, the rich man, he, he knows that he knew the Old Testament law. And so that's what he's doing. It's basically saying, hey, look, check this out. If you will obey these commands, if you'll keep these commandments, then you will have life. You will live if you keep 
perfectly keep these, then you will. You will have life. And that's basically what Jesus is doing. Is he's, is he's setting him back to that. And I want you to see the very next verse. The very next verse, verse 20, he says this. He goes, teacher, duh. All of these I have kept since I was a boy. Okay? Like, see what I'm saying is he knows this already. He already knows this. He's, he knows the Old Testament law. Jesus even said it when he addressed him. You know what the law says. And he's like, yeah, I do. And a lot of times when I am reading this stuff, what I do, and I think I've told you guys this before, is I want to put myself in here, right? It's the what aspect of Bible study. What's going on? And so I kind of want to put myself in it. And so in this case, like maybe I'm one of the disciples and I'm hanging out and I see this, all of this happening right in front of me and the rich guy comes up to Jesus and Jesus tells him that. And then he says, I've done that. I've kept all of these perfectly. And as I'm sitting there, I want to go like, whatever, bro. <laughs> Like, seriously, dude, you've kept all the commandments perfectly since you were a kid? Like, that's what I want to do. I want to be like, okay, fine, you haven't murdered anybody? That's cool. Like, maybe you haven't, you know, I'll give you a pass on adultery. Okay, that's fine. You've never lied? What? Bro, wait, hold on a minute. Are you serious? Like, you've never been hanging out with the boys and been like, guess how many goats I have? More than you. Like, you've never exaggerated, you've never cheated, you weren't in school and you looked over at your friend's abacus as he was sliding beads, and you didn't think, hmm, nothing, you've honored your father and mother, you've never dishonored them, bro, full of it, I ain't buying it, that's just me. This guy's saying perfect, and while I'm ready to expose him as a phony, Jesus' response is so very different from mine. And look at verse 21. What does Jesus say? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One of the other uh, gospels says, looked upon him with genuine love. Jesus felt genuine love for this man as he looked upon him. And I, and I believe that there are those of you here, you know this, uh, you can see your Savior doing that, can't you? You can see Him doing it with you. I believe that. The supernatural eyes of God piercing into your face and you feeling genuine love. Like, I bet you can, right? Like, you can, you can sense that. He's looking beyond all of your sins, and He's looking beyond your faults and your fears and your fa failures and your inadequacies, and He is looking into the soul of who you really are with genuine love. You know that, don't you? And that's exactly what's happening here. It's this powerful moment that's going on. And Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, and this is how God feels about you. It's amazing. And in verse 21, verse 21, Jesus says, one thing, you might want to underline that, highlight it, whatever, circle it, one thing you lack he says, go and sell everything. Go and sell everything and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And this dude is like, what? <laughs> like, you want to talk about some serious whiplash. Like, this guy's all pumped and he's excited about Jesus. He's going to ask the question. But listen, the Bible doesn't give the tone, right? We kind of have to read into it. But I would imagine if he's looking at him in genuine love, 
that this is what's happening. He's probably speaking in a fairly tender tone, right? Not aggressive, not stern, very lovingly. Go and sell everything you have and give the money away. You'll have treasures in heaven and follow me. And that is not what this guy wanted to hear. And one of the things that I love about Jesus and his teachings, and it happens right here in this moment, is he gives him the real truth, right? He, he didn't tickle his, this guy's ears with a little simple route to greatness. He knew what it was going to take for this guy, and he challenged him with the truth. Here's what needs to happen. You, you don't just get a comfy, easy plan. That's not what I have for you. He raised the stakes. He confronts him with the truth of sacrifice. He challenges him to give up what is absolutely the most precious to him. That's what he calls him to do. And let me just pause here for a moment and be very, very clear about this. Because when it comes to Scripture and what we are talking about here, this passage does not suggest, by the way, that material possessions and money are evil. That's not what it's saying. Okay? The love of money, yeah, that's bad. The uh, idea of your possessions, like being before God, yeah, that's bad. The Bible actually teaches about, against both of those. But in and of themselves, the Bible doesn't teach that money or possessions are bad. They're not bad. What he's saying in this is this guy's barrier to God was materialism. That's what it was. In reality, he's looking at him of what he needs to sacrifice the most. And some people have asked me, like, how, how did Jesus know? Like, how does Jesus know that it's, this is what this guy needed to sacrifice? And I think a couple of things. Number one is Jesus is God, and he can look into those eyes, and he can see exactly. He's got some inside scoop there of what's going on, and he knows what he had. And then the second thing is, I don't know, but maybe he looked at this guy when he got off of his camel escalade, and he hopped down, and he's running over with all this bling on, you know, and he's got his Brooks Brothers robe and his Armani sandals. Like, I don't know. I'm just guessing. But Jesus knew what he needed to sacrifice. And so we keep reading in verse 22. In verse 22, it says this. It says, at this, the man's face fell. You might just want to circle, highlight, face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I went into the original language of the New Testament Greek to see if I could translate this face fail like some way different, right? Like that maybe the other thousands of translators have missed. <laughs> I'll show them. Because I wanted some kind of Twilight Zone like his face fell off thing, like sci-fi twist. It's not there. I checked. Actually, in the Greek, in the Greek translation, the word face fell is this. You may want to write this down. The word face fell, this is what happened to this guy, is the sky becoming overcast in an anticipation of a storm. That's what it meant. The sky becoming overcast in an anticipation of a storm. Those are the words. That's what his face looked like. His face looked like the sky becoming overcast in anticipation of a storm. There is this progressive darkening in this man's face as he heard the words of Jesus, and he took them in, and he mixed it all in with all the things that he had. And he wasn't able to do it. And so he walks away sad. The storm had come into his life. And for this guy, he thought about all the property that he owned, but the truth of the matter is the property owned him. 
And that's what's happening. And he was a prisoner to his stuff. And like you and me, he wanted greatness. Like he wants that, but he wasn't willing to make the sacrifice to do what he had to do. So he walks away. And Jesus has this incredible, teachable moment right there with his disciples. And look at verse 23. In verse 23, here's what he says. Jesus looked around and he said to the disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And I said it there, huh? God. Sometimes I do that when I get a little excited. And it says that this amazed them. That's what the scripture says. The principle, this concept, this phrase totally amazed the Christ followers. So much so that he has to repeat it and he repeats it with an illustration. Here's what he says. He says the disciples were amazed at this, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. And uh, I visited Israel in 2019, and I was with a group of people, and we went on this trip. Uh, it was amazing. Two and a half, three weeks in Israel and all the things, and we spent a few days in Jerusalem, and our guide that was with us, Solo, who was a Latino, a Jewish Latino, was taking us through all of the stuff. It was absolutely amazing, just so much it's an incredible trip. I want us to do it together one day. We're going to do that. We're going to plan it. And it's just an incredible trip. And when I was there in Jerusalem, he explained to us in those times of where that would come from, this concept of the eye of the needle. And I put something up here. What he showed us was this. This is literally a picture I took while he was describing the eye of the needle. And this is what he's talking about. He's saying, when he's describing this stuff, this is what they would think of, that little slot, that sliver that is in the wall, that is in the wall there in Jerusalem, surrounding the city as a protective spot. That's what they would look out. There's multiple purposes for that. But part of it, a nickname that it had, was the eye of the needle. There's another photo you can see of what I'm talking about. That's another part of the wall. And so that is literally what they would have in their mind of a camel. He says it's easier for a camel to go through that than to be able to do this. And so in verse 26, in verse 26 it says, the disciples were more amazed. Like they were already amazed. Now they're more amazed. Because they, here's what they said. Then who, can, who in the world can be saved? Like this is what they're thinking. Are you picturing this? Are you putting yourself in there with the disciples? This rich guy walks away. The disciples are amazed. They are not getting it. They don't understand what's going on. What is it? If this guy can't buy his way in, then who can get in? If he can't get in, what chance do we possibly have? That's what's happening. Because in Jewish culture, listen, people who had wealth, people who had money, who said others saw them as being blessed by God. That's what they visioned. So people who had resources and wealth and income, everybody thought God favors these guys. He must favor them. That was the culture of the time. People thought, well, you know what? And here's this. If this guy can't get in, God favors these people. If this guy can't get in, we don't have a shot. And that's where they are. In response to him, uh, them saying, who can be saved? In verse 27, Jesus looked at them and he said, look at this. Are you ready for this? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There should be like some clapping, some cheering, something. Because this is for you and me. Please, this is for you and me. Because what he's saying is nobody, every person here, 
everybody watching online, everybody, all of us included, no one can be saved by our wealth, by our achievements, the things that we accomplish, by our talents. From a human standpoint, it's like getting a camel through the eye of the needle. It's not happening. It won't happen. It's impossible for you to be saved on your terms. It won't happen. But everything, say everything. Everything Everything is possible with God on His terms. On His terms. What are His terms? For this rich guy, his terms was that he wanted God to be number one in his life. That's what he wanted. He wanted him to be number one. God wants to be number one in, uh, for us, too, for you and for me. He wants to be number one in our life. Like, that's a real thing. And that's what's happening here. And in so verse 28, check this out. Peter speaks up. He says, we left everything to follow you. Like, they're still freaking out. <laughs> Bro! Like, I love when you read in, in the book of Matthew, it has a, another line. Like, Peter has two lines in it, and his second line is, what are we going to get out of this? For real. This is real talk. What are we going to get out of this? Like, we've, we've given up everything to follow you. What, what, what do we get out of it? What a great question and a fair question. And can I just tell you, Jesus wants that. He wants a real relationship. He doesn't want some phony stuff. He wants you and I to have real talk, real conversation, in a real relationship, ultimate and intimate, right out in front of him. And that's what Peter is doing right here. What are we going to get out of this? Like, I know, I know Jesus, it may not seem like a whole big deal to you, but me giving up the whole family fishing industry, like, that's a deal for my family, like, especially my parents. Now, granted, I admit, I don't smell like sardines anymore, so... That's cool. But what am I going to get out of this? Because I'm following you. Like, it's fun to hang out. Like, you're super cool. And you do miracles, which is awesome. And it's great to hear your teaching, and it's nice to be in your presence. But I'm just telling you, that's not going to show real well at my 25-year reunion with my pals. Like, what am I getting out of this? Like, am I going to be able to turn water into wine? Like, that'd be cool, because I kind of need a drink right now. Like, I... What's in it for me, man? Actually, I wish the rich guy would have asked that. Jesus, if I sell everything and I come and follow you, what am I going to get out of it? Because remember, he wants a quick fix. But maybe that's where you are. Maybe it's where you are watching online. Could be where you are today, sitting in here. Like you're asking that question. What does it all mean? I mean, seriously, what are we doing? What does it mean? What do I get out of it? What's in it for me? And you may think that it seems like this self-centered question, but it's a great question to ask because God addresses it. And I believe that God will show up in the midst of that. And so this whole journey that we've been on through this time frame with you is I'm going to take you, it's going to lead to this answer. So we've been slowly moving up to the top of the roller coaster, okay? And we're ready to go down. Are you guys ready? Like buckle your seatbelts, hold on to your pancreas. Here we go. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel 
will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a whole lot to unpack right here. In verse 29, here's what I want you to do. I want you to highlight, circle those two words for me, for me. And then in verse 30, I want you to underline a hundred times as much. Jesus is calming these guys down. Calm down. I just want to let you guys know, I assure you that your sacrifices will be rewarded a hundred times over. A special bonus, you'll be with God forever in eternity. You will be rewarded for your sacrifice. Now listen, I'm not a math whiz, but I love Jesus' math here. Like, this is awesome. A hundred times over? He didn't say a hundred percent. Like, what's a hundred percent? If I gave you five dollars, what's a hundred percent? What are you going to give me? Five bucks, okay? But if I give you five dollars and you're going to give me a hundred times as much, what are you giving me? It's a harder math, I know. (laughs) Five hundred. Like, I'm a little slow, but that seems like a really good investment, right? And that's what's happening here, exactly with these guys. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to reward you both now and in eternity for your sacrifice. So check this out. If there's one thing you get out of this message today, please, if there's one thing, right, when you go out to lunch today, before you take your nap, you're doing all the different things, and all my words are falling away, and the only thing, you're talking to your friend, the only thing you can remember is the basketball goal falling on my head, then every, you've forgotten everything else. Please, there's just one thing that I want you to remember. This is it. Please write this down. Sacrifice is the investment to greatness. That's what it is. And that's what he's teaching us here. This is Jesus' teaching to the rich man and to you and I and to the disciples. Sacrifice is the investment to greatness. That's what it is. That's the one thing I want you to get. That's the, right there in your outline, it says one thing. That's it. So when you come back next week and there's a test, I'm going to say, what's the one thing? And you're going to say, some of you are going to get an F. listen to this jesus jesus is saying if you sacrifice one house for me i will open a hundred doors for you come on that's amazing if you sacrifice one relationship that is keeping you from a close relationship with me i'm going to send you a hundred relationships that love will surface and they will be so much more vibrant that's amazing if you, if you will sacrifice one habit for me that is destroying you and you sacrifice it for me, I'm going to give you a hundred new habits that will enrich your life. That's what I'm going to give you. It's amazing. If you sacrifice your riches for me and you will experience the depth of richness that you never could imagine or ever dreamed of, that's amazing. And as a pastor, I can't promise you, like, when the hundred times is coming. Like, I can't. I'd be lying. I don't know. But that's not my role. It's not your role either. My role, your role, is sacrifice. God's role is the hundred times. And can I tell you something? He's never failed. Never. Jesus ends this teachable moment. Referring to eternal life, 
in verse 31, he says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I love the NET version. It puts it this way. I put it up on the screen for you. But many who seem to be important now will be the least important then. And those who are considered least here will what? Be the greatest then. Greatness is not an exclusive club. It's for you and me. It's for us. God has put it in us. And he has that for us. So let's make it very personal. And I want you to imagine, if you could walk up, if that was you, and you could walk up to Jesus right now, and you jumped off your Escalade, your Camel Escalade, your Camelac, and you jumped off of that thing, and you ran over there to him, and you said to him, what's it going to be? What do I need to re for eternal life? And he tells you, you've got to sacrifice one thing. What's that one thing? What's in the bag? This is just a visual illustration. But what's in the bag? What's in your bag? Like what's in your bag is different than my bag. What do you need to sacrifice? What do you need to give up? What is it? There is something in here. And here's my guess. Here's my guess. My guess is half of you in here, the minute that I said that, you already knew. You know. Like you've been talking to God about it. Like it's been on your mind. You've been running through it. But listen, but maybe not willing to sacrifice. And God is saying, sacrifice is the investment to greatness. And there's this thing that you need to sacrifice. It's getting in the way. What is it? Is it a relationship? Is it a pursuit of like the perfect relationship? What is it getting in the way when the perfect relationship is with Father God and allowing the other things to fall into place, right? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things. So instead of pursuing a relationship, you pursue Him and the relationship will fall into place. Maybe it's a dream, a vision. What is it? It's your thing, but you've got to sacrifice it and you've got to put Him first. And greatness will ensue a hundred times over, he says. I believe his word. If you believe his word, you want that investment. I want that investment.